Good day everyone, we're back again, episode 5 uh, We skipped last week and we do apologize But, you know, we're, we're back here again We're back with another topic We want to discuss public transportation reform in the Caribbean And uh, touching on buses um, in particular And uh, we're going to look at the public transport in the ECCU member states And the system in, as a whole And what can be done to improve the public transportation system we're going to look at some other nations in the region barbados trinidad and so forth and try to look at a parallel and why what we can do in eccu to improve our public transportation system i am the lawyer jadrick cummings and i'm delano de souza the policy analyst uh, like jadrick said we apologize for missing last week it was a hectic week for us um i know jadrick had a couple big cases yeah. I, I myself had to do a little bit of traveling for work and so you know we didn't get to meet up for a regular drink and our regular chat with you guys so we apologize for that but we are back this week we're back this week yeah and as jadrick said we have an interesting topic at least we feel like it's interesting we feel like it's topical because it's something that people use every day on a day-to-day basis people are using public transportation people are trying to get the wrong and the importance of this really is that in order for an economy to thrive it really needs uh mobility People need to be able to move around in the economy in order for an economy uh, to, to prosper and to, 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 you know, to really function as it should. And so we felt that it was important to bring this topic out and kind of discuss it. And I know particularly for the Eastern Caribbean, we have some challenges there. Correct. Um, particularly because it's mostly uh, privately run. So, you know, just in terms of going into the state of play uh, of public bus transportation, we're focusing on bus in particular in this episode because we feel like that's the most commonly used... Um, yeah, that, that's what, especially in, well, St. Vincent and the other small territories, yeah, the small that's, territory. that's what we have, you know, the little, I think in Trinidad, they call it the Maxi and so forth, yeah, but, you yeah. know, that, that's what we have, the little yeah. buses, so. Yeah, and in Barbados, we call it the ZR, right? right? ZR. So, <laughs> so really, what what is the state of play currently in in terms of bus transportation and we, we want to tie all of this back into economic development which really refers to progress towards a community's economic goals such as increased employment income productivity uh, property values and tax revenues uh, into India. So that's really what we're trying to tie this whole discussion into. So it's important that we, we set that out from the outset, right? And so transportation policy and planning decisions can affect economic development in various ways, including some that are indirect and long-term. And what we find is that countries globally and even within the region, they have divergent experiences with public transportation systems. So some have been re- relatively successful uh, while others have continuously generated operating losses due to inefficiencies and other issues. And we could think about Barbados, for example, and we're going to get into that soon. Right. Yeah. So while critics have been arguing, there are some people have been saying that the need for public transportation is diminishing because people are buying more vehicles. Yeah, more every vehicles every so. two weeks yeah. we have cardboard coming in yeah, and, you know, you know, we, we have private vehicles coming in onto the road. But we have also academics and other people who kind of disagree. So we have people like Littmann, for example, uh, in the 2006 paper, very influential paper that, that, that he really spoke to the fact that um, changing dynamics, uh, which include things like um, aging populations, rising fuel prices, uh, the increasing urbanization, traffic congestion is a major one, and the rising cost of um, roadway expansions. Uh, These, as well as environmental concerns in terms of the uses of um, vehicles, are shifting uh, the demand for um, automobile and kind of making 
some people in some countries really still rely heavily on the bus system. Right. And but we generally know it's more than that too because sometimes vehicle ain't cheap. Yeah, that's the thing as well. So, but I mean now, and especially, well, I can speak to Saint Vincent when we introduced that um, the new regulation in terms of importing vehicles beyond a certain oh, age. Oh, twelve years, so, I think it was twelve years. Twelve years, mm-hmm. right? So you know that again would limit the the importation, the, the rate at which right. vehicles are imported because people can't really afford yeah. <coughs> these new amount of vehicles. than twelve years, you could yeah, have afforded yeah. it. So, but no, because they restricted it, then okay, you have to increase your spending dollar in order to get access to a vehicle to buy a vehicle so mm-hmm. that's something else that persons look at and say hey maybe i should start looking at public transport and in addition to that the incomes just aren't there mm-hmm. to be honest the incomes of, of the people just aren't there to go um into private vehicles and so there is still you know yeah. con- you know at least in the, in the oecs a, a need uh, for public transportation so just in terms of the comparison uh we look at short caricom you know that jamaica trinidad and tobago and barbados they're among the few nations in, in the region that maintain state-involved bus systems right and by state-involved obviously we mean that the government has a hand in it in terms of the government is a supplier mm. of of public transportation of public bus transportation in Barbados uh, they have the Barbados Transport Board uh, in Jamaica they have a similar entity and in these two countries and in all the three countries actually um, they also have private individuals still providing bus supplies so the bus supply is a mixture of private and public ah, supply right, right, right. all right it, whereas in places like st vincent and the grenadines for example it's primarily private it's private yeah. it's, it's private yeah, the bus man so. and them yeah. the bus man and them running the show i mentioned barbados trinidad and jamaica but i believe that for the purposes of this discussion here jerry let me kind of focus on Barbados because in my mind it kind of allows for more meaningful comparison with um, ECCU countries because of the size of the population, the landmass and some of the economic characteristics that kind of, you know, as we know Barbados used to be a member of the, um, the, the the Eastern Caribbean Currency Authority, as it was known back then before the um, the creation of the Central Bank, right? So we know that Barbados has historical ties to us in terms of um, its makeup, right? Yeah, in terms of the OECS, right? Our governments have been extremely cautious as to their approach to public transportation policy. So really and truly, Jarek, apart from regulating the fares right governments play a limited role within the sector and they may not have fully contemplated at least in my mind economic and social benefits that are efficient and i have to stress it efficient because what we have inefficient <laughs> yeah and i could be blunt and say what we have it is not efficient we we may feel like it's efficient some of us because we get from point a to point b yeah. relatively quickly and the eccu member states have kind of developed homegrown approaches to the sector um, for each country, it's kind of different but similar. So the result is that the level of involvement varies by country. There is one main similarity, which is that the state currently in the OECS, there is no state-run public bus system within the OECS. So what we have, right, as a result of this is that, unlike Barbados, Trinidad and Jamaica, for example, in the OECS and the smaller islands, the bus supply tends to be concentrated around traditional working hours. 
with very limited supply thereafter. Right. Yeah. So now, obviously, that's a concern for us because it's easy to get, uh, relatively easy to get transportation between the hours of let's say seven to seven to seven. Yeah, about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, what happens after that? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's important because I mean, even when I, I remember studying in England and so forth, you'd have your after-hour buses and your late buses. I mean, after-hours would typically be something like you know one a.m. to to five a.m. and so forth. But still, you'd have your public transport all up to. 10 p.m., 11 p.m., midnight, and that's normal, you know. And it's something that you can't find in the OECS territories. Well, nine St. Vincent for sure. Mm-hmm. So from seven to seven, after that, you're out of luck. Crap was smoking yeah, pipe. <laughs> so in Grenada, St. Kitts and Nevis, Antigua and Barbuda, Dominica, St. Lucia, Montserrat, and St. Vincent and the Grenadines, mm-hmm. the bus system is predominantly private, like we mentioned before. But many of the bus operators are members of the national or localized which is basically route-based omnibus associations as we refer to it, right? And although their membership and their influence varies by country, they essentially act as a trade union of sorts in negotiations with the government who is in effect the regulator. Mm. So just about getting better fares and so forth. Yeah, that's basically what the negotiation negotiate. Whatever subsidies they could get from yes, the government yes. in terms of, you know, they yeah. are fixing the buses and so forth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the negotiations usually surround things like fuel prices, the fares, which we know when them fellas can't get it when they're ready to up the price, them strike. Yeah. And so and as well as other concessions and incentives that the governments um, provide to bus operators from time to time. And again, these incentives and these concessions vary by country. But typically they include, like we mentioned before, import duty, reductions, waivers, gas and vehicle subparts, subsidies and so on. So that's basically what it is. The only exception is I think in Anguilla, where there is no public bus system, the transportation sector in Anguilla is essentially um, dominated by taxi operators and car rental companies. Yeah, I didn't know that. They're so heavily entrenched that it's almost like a barrier. So the bus man, you know, a man might want to try, but let me run a bus. Yeah. But everybody has have private transportation or they rent a, a yeah. car and a car in taxis. It's difficult now to get in there. So in Anguilla, just like when you open a bed, boy, I feel like <laughs> I feel like on the boy, you know? I like how it just open, you know? <laughs> but one key deficiency in the region, and I have to point this out, is a paucity of transportation sector statistics. We know in the region, especially in our small islands, statistics is a big problem oh yeah a big problem <laughs> so if you go now and you ask the ministry of transport for example what what is the ridership like mm-hmm. the operating cost of the bus the revenues of the bus man and them on a day-to-day right even the number of buses that operate on a particular route yeah they can't have they that. can't tell you, they can't, you that, yeah. they can't tell you so it's almost <laughs> like it, it comes down to the the private bus owner in it yes. because he has to keep records of all his mm-hmm. financials and all these kind of things yeah which you know they probably don't do yeah. And then obviously it then comes to them Probably sharing exactly. that sharing that information with the you know mm-hmm. relevant authorities and so forth. But yeah. And even for NIS sometimes because you know technically they are self-employed, so they're supposed to go right. to that role, but a lot of them don't even pay, you know. So yeah, there are issues that, yeah. in terms of you know, gleaning how exactly our transport, our bus transportation system is yeah. I guess probably, operating. I guess probably the most indicative um, factor they can look at is the the licenses, like conduct the licenses yeah. and so forth, through in and revenue maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But still, even that. It's yeah. shaky. It's shaky. It's shaky. <laughs> so really, in the absence of meaningful data on the sector, what seems to be happening in these small islands is that policymakers are kind of taking a laissez-faire approach, where the position is like, let the market forces kind of determine demand and supply of the bus system. And this is combined with 
limited regulation. Alright? Right? Right. So, so that, that has essentially been the approach of the governments of the smaller mm-hmm. islands. Yo, if if people want to boss, mm-hmm. boss man will supply them service. Right. Right? And we can just regulate the fares on them to make sure it's affordable to an extent, and that's our role. But we, are, well, I am arguing that it needs to go further than that, right? So I think the next thing, the next aspect that we have to discuss is basically why have countries limited state participation in public transportation, in bus transportation? Why have the government shied away from right. getting involved in such a critical aspect of our of our economy? Uh, what 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 do you think, Jerry? Well, I know you're saying, like, as you touched on, you touched on the reliance on the market forces. So you were saying, okay, well, you know, the policymakers often, you know, express their opinion that, hey, any demand for bus transportation will be met by the private supply, you know, by these private individuals anyway. So why should we come come into it, you know? And I think that is one thing. I don't know. I don't know how true that is. The increase in demand might not necessarily be just for you know more services but services that are more efficiently run and regulated right so yes you might there might be a demand an increase in demand but that demand might be specific to um say for working people you know they Mm -hmm. want a regulated system that runs efficiently they want to go to the bus stop they want to know any bus coming and know bus coming and say hey this bus passed at eight i reach and work for eight ten you know or whatever you know that kind of thing so when it's state run it's easier to regulate in that sense so you can't just say oh leave it to the market forces Mm -hmm. but um i mean that's what i think you know yeah well yeah I agree with you and to me it's an oversimplification of the demand supply relationship mm-hmm. in the sense that particularly when it comes to bus transportation supply tends to lag behind demand uh, so and also there's a difference between actual demand which is realized demand and potential demand mm-hmm. right realized demand actual demand tends to be a function of historical supply especially for the transportation sector so basically what does mean right mm-hmm. is if I want to catch a bus at 9 or 10 p.m. in the night, right? But right. historically, mm-hmm. I know that buses don't run beyond 7 o'clock. Right. I am not going to leave my home at 9 o'clock expecting to get a bus. So I can just stay home. That's so true. what I'm yeah. saying there is in your demand, you may have wanted to go in theory. Yeah. But because you know you can't get a bus to go, you can stay home. Right. So your demand then, the, the realized demand is a function of the historical supply. So if I know I can get a bus to go movies or to go by line or buy a bar, like how we lie here now, you understand? If I know I could uh, catch a bus and come here tonight, Right. You know, to, to, to have to record this podcast. I might leave my car home and just catch a bus, save yeah, a exactly. little gas. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I I can't demand the bus service because I you know, I don't know if it's going the supply is going to be met. Right. So that's right. when that's the main issue that we have here. And so because of this now, there is sort of constraints that kinda of affects the level of demand because of the historical supply. So what we end up seeing, sorry, is that basically we never get full demand. It's always a, a fraction of the potential demand that actually oh, becomes right, realized right. demand. Because right. people people know that beyond a certain time you can't get a bus. Right, exactly. So I ain't going nowhere. So that's basically what we're seeing there in terms of the, the oversimplification. And then the second one is in relation to... So these are the reasons why the governments, in our estimation, why governments have stayed away from it. They, they've kind of said like the population size and the, yeah. the, the, the penetration of private vehicles has gotten so high that do we even need to get involved? Yeah, like I said, that one is closely like tied to the whole market forces mm-hmm. argument because hey, the population size is such that, you know, 
does it really warrant our involvement because persons have their private vehicles it's only well you know these small territories a hundred something thousand people people, whatever people have their vehicles and the current private operators are doing just fine i mean they would say so I mean, to us, it's not fine because, as we say, it's not efficient at all. You don't know when they're going to get a bus. It's like Russian roulette. Sometimes yeah, they go by a bus stand. And there and wait. And just yeah. hope, you know. Sometimes a man taking a George Town bus to go up Cyan Hill. Yeah, you know, yeah. just because <laughs> he don't know. You know, If a George Town bus coming. Exactly. And that's yeah. the issue that we have. That, that's another factor. The, the, they're saying that so many people have private vehicles now that it may be a waste of time for government to, to waste state resources in terms mm-hmm. of getting involved in, in public transportation. Right. And then there is also, and this one is important to me, and let me not forget that we are we, that we live in a political society mm-hmm. and there is the potential for conflict with private operators, especially in these small islands, because we can't forget the bus driver and those vote too. No? Yeah, because I mean, that's what I was going to say. Because, okay, if we, if we look at... If we look at this, right, the the potential conflict that there is, I mean, because if you want to introduce a public transportation system, you can say, well, we have to. These regulations would be um, wholesale for everybody mm-hmm. if you want if you want to restrict um, the the color of the buses and so forth, because obviously a state-run thing. I mean, it would be mm-hmm. a uniform, a uniform approach, type thing. You know? yeah. All the buses would be one color, that kind of thing. Different routes. And you say, okay, well, so. it would level the playing field because all the private buses, as well, they would have to have this mm-hmm. particular color. But then you'd get the kickback from the private operators. They've been doing this for. <laughs> yes, oh, years, 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 years. Years. Oh, you can break you know? the culture exactly or you can tell the man on them that all of a sudden yeah. that you introducing public buses to compete with them yeah exactly the history of confrontation mm-hmm. as it relates to strikes over issues of fares and gas prices mm-hmm. i could easily see them fellas blocking the road and coming yeah. off the road when, yeah. it, when, it, when they hear that the government bringing in a hundred buses to run the road mm-hmm. you understand but what about um i don't know i don't know what you think what about going back it kind of touches on the demand again mm-hmm. like the whole there's like a coolness factor i mean obviously for the working individual they would say yes mm-hmm. i want an efficient service i want to know that a bus is coming at 7 30 so that i could get to work and you know such and such they would take any bus but what about the school children you know the college children who want the top of the top van and you know this van with rims and that and that would they say nah boy i don't want to go in this you know, state run well, bus and all these things. Well, well, boy, I could tell you this, you know, I've lived in Barbados for basically nine years, and there are the private buses, these are ours, as we just call them, and they have the public buses. And to me, there's there's room for both, uh-huh. in the sense that the, the children and them who want to catch the, 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 the van and them, as we call it, you understand, mm. the top on, so on, if they, they want to catch it, they can do that. But at the same time, there's room for the individual, the more, the more mature persons, and some, to be honest, some of the younger folks don't even want. To catch um, the vans that that are the hot the vans, the high vans, and them as we would say. Yeah. So there is room for both, and I've seen both of them coexist in Barbados, for example. Mm-hmm. And you know, some days you might catch a Zara, other days the boy can't handle that and that boom boom in my head. Right. I can catch a, a public transportation, a, a transport board bus, right. and go all right. going. Also, they run different routes too, and I think that's something that we will get into a little bit later because some of the places that the government run buses go. The public transportation buses, the armed private, private ones, one. are not allowed to go. Right. So there's a, a way in Barbados that kind of allows you to have both, and that both mm. can still it's, survive it's and, 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 and yeah, still you know, and, and mm. make a money still. Everybody can still eat, kind of vibe. But not that I've mentioned Barbados, right? And just before I go into Barbados, 
and I mentioned the political consequences before and I just want to go back in terms of the, put- the potential conflict because it's important to know that some of our politicians mm-hmm. are going to shy away from any confrontation with the public tra- with the public bus operators because they can't handle we've seen other issues we've seen times that they've walked back their stance and, and taken a, a softer line than, mm-hmm. than perhaps they could have in order to appease the bus drivers and so on. we've seen that so I, I it's not beyond me to kind of feel that our politicians may say like boy if i go and do this i might lose votes and so, so i can stay away from this whole public yeah, transportation yeah, sure, issue yeah, yeah. because i don't want to upset the bus drivers and upset the because if you upset the bus driver and the bus driver strike oh yeah you upset the people <coughs> yeah all yeah. right so you can have a domino it can have a yeah, knock-on yeah. effect there yeah, where you can lose votes yeah, that's true, you understand yeah. so I, I i think that's important to mention and bus transportation in this region requires political will when I get to China, I think um, as well, sometimes these bus drivers kind of shine a light on some um, some some kind of holes or some elements that are missing, some concerns that in general man might have in terms of the roads and so forth. Mm-hmm. Because when they strike, they say, nope, this road up Green Hill, like too bumpy, too mm-hmm. many potholes. And the private individuals be like, yes, yeah, we tell them all along, you know. So, but yeah, you know. when you strike, they go fix it. Exactly. But when yeah. I swear, they were still home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that's, that's, that's another thing. Yeah, so that, that's important. But the big one, Majorik, the main reason why the government, and I think it ties into everything, is the expected cost, the cost of yeah. a public transportation. Yeah. It ain't easy. Yeah. yeah. It ain't cheap. Let me just, from the outset, it, it may not be cheap. Yeah. All right? So when we look, and we're using Barbados as, a, as an example, because their transport boards has, re, has been recording millions of dollars in losses uh, for several years. Jeez. Right? So ain't no sweet bread, as my grandmother <laughs> would say. Ain't no sweet bread. Yeah. Right? So there are numerous costs associated with public transportation systems, especially if you have a full involvement system like Barbados. It can involve things like infrastructural costs, this includes purchasing buses, maintenance of the bus fleet in Barbados, for example, they have a fleet of Mercedes-Benz buses. Oh yeah, maintenance will be high for them. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So they have to get garage space. You have to have administ- You have to have staff, not just the drivers. You need administrative support. You know, you have to pay the salaries. You need insurance. You need fuel, which can fluctuate. So ain't no sweet bread. Is is a is a lot, yeah, right? I, I could see the hesitation. Yeah, yeah. and these cars can amount to tens of millions of dollars yeah. annually. And um, in the case of Barbados, they've been having so many losses, so many losses. And when you, if you look at Barbados, I did a little study on it. Barbados Transport Board, you know, their losses have been going so high, they've reached, and in 2009, which I think is the last report I was able to pull, it reached as much as, almost as high as 70 million Barbados dollars. Is that the losses? Yes, that's Jeez. the losses. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, and the government has been bearing the, the brunt of that. So, like I'm saying, it's a lot. But like I mentioned before, and I have to put this into context so that we can understand that push duck in, in, in dog lock, uh. basically. <laughs> what happened with them might not happen with me. Right, so for right, example, right. They, they use Mercedes-Benz buses, yeah. like I mentioned before, which is comparatively more expensive to acquire. They also have significant repair costs. And in addition, our roads are not as wide and big as Barbados. So whereas they may need Mercedes-Benz, we can walk on like a Toyota. We can walk on like a coaster. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? We can work yeah. with that. We can do, you can do it different. But I mean, now I know I hear in these figures on last, I kind of feeling sorry for them. Because I mean, earlier in the year, I remember seeing some videos on Instagram and thing with holes in the flows of the buses and stuff like that. And I was yeah, like, what's going on in Barbados, really? But when I hear these figures on these glasses, I mean. It's not cheap. So the government has kind yeah. of been put between a rock and a hard place because the people need the public transportation, but it's not cheap. And so they've been trying to maintain that. In addition to that, the size and the scope of the Barbados bus system, for example, is considered 
excessive right in some opinion in some people's opinions so for example the number of buses the time spans for the daily operation i think they can get the bus as big as 12 which is good mm-hmm. right the staff complement is also large they operate things like scenic tours and right, so on which right, is not necessarily squarely in line with public transportation right, right, right. you know and also the government has allowed school children and elderly persons to travel for free on the public bus transportation it represents a, a loss of revenue a millions but a year are, are the, the scenic tour options and so could it have been implemented as a means of gaining revenue like them they're saying hey maybe if we charge more for these scenic tours or, or how you know it operates it, it do could they have they, they do charge but the demand may not necessarily be there fully right so i i know they do yeah. bring in some revenue but the question then becomes the the buses as well. yeah like, is, is it worth it to, yeah. would it be cheaper to leave these buses parked on, on a sunday example instead of doing these scenic trips and so on and so right. on would it, you know it's a, it's a question of how you use your resources really yeah. in terms of that but and again it's important to mention is that because despite the issues with the barbados transportation board bus system the public bus transportation in barbados the government and major policy analysts and so on they have basically said that the bus system continues to play an integral role in maintaining the prospects for economic growth in barbados you can't take it out because people need to be able to move around like i said mobility is a necessary condition for economic growth yeah yeah certainly yeah. so you can't just remove it so basically what they're trying to do now is refashion it to make it more efficient make mm-hmm. it more you know try to make, reduce the losses and so on but there's no talk of getting rid of it because they re- recognize similar thing and it's important to note as well there are probably one or two public transportation systems in the world yeah. that actually make, make a profit, a profit. Oh, okay in new york for example the mta they make major losses as well they subsidize heavily as well in new- so it's not it's not to say that it's expected really it's almost right, it's yeah. a public good mm-hmm. so to speak yeah yeah it's just something because society needs it like mm-hmm. you know it's something the government is expected to implement and maintain and subsidize yeah really, so not really to make a yeah so okay. it, right, it, if you look at what uh, having a transportation system like Barbados contributes to the economy it does a lot mm-hmm. so i could talk about my experiences there before i used to drive in Barbados, for example i could catch a bus at Kville and i could end up on the gap I could eat a food, I could drink something, I could breeze off, and when I don't know, I could catch a bus, go back home, right, I could yeah. go to a restaurant, I could catch the bus, and so on, late in the night, and so on. Mm-hmm. Had I not had that option this whole my day, and that money would have been kept in my pocket, mm-hmm. you understand? Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's good so for it allows tourism people, well, exactly, you know, tourism especially. Tourists know, okay, this is a regulated bus service, I know I could get a bus at X time, mm-hmm. and come back safely at X time. And people check on that before they visit the country too, how is the yeah. bus system? Yeah. How is yeah. the bus system, you know? So, like I said, this that's really this the scene here. You know, it's it's still an important um, asset to Barbados. It just needs to be worked on. So then, now that we kind of got into that, what can the expansion of public bus transportation do for small countries like ours? What what can it do for our countries? Then we already kind of um, segued into the stimulation of economic activity. So what 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 we're seeing basically is that one of the major benefits of increased bus supply is the possibility for increased movement of people and with that the argument is that the supply beyond traditional hours um seven to let's say seven a.m to seven p.m mm-hmm. it can really boost economic activity in the country so for example um the common held belief is that it's difficult to get a bus beyond certain times because there's a decline in demand that's not necessarily the case when you think about the fact that a lot of these persons are private individuals, then what bust from man in tonight? Man, mm. Man's tired. Yeah. So a lot of them pull off the road after they've made sufficient money and so on, or they've they're tired. Yeah. They pull off the road. Yeah. Yeah. You understand? 
and it all goes back to the historical nature of things where we know no bossy young and diddy, so we ain't even we house kind of flex. Yeah. There have been numerous studies, for example, Littman 2017, that found that per capita gross domestic product tends to increase with public transportation ridership. The more ridership that occurs in a country, the GDP tends to increase. Okay. So it's it's interesting that there's a correlation right. between people moving about and people spending money and the growth of your GDP. So that's a major finding. And the argument then is if there is a publicized bus system in terms of the supply, if you know that, you know, 10.30, 9.30, a bus passing here, I can walk out there and a bus, plus or minus 10 minutes a bus gonna pass and I can get where I'm going. People will move around more. And then with this now, what you expect to happen is that there is a, a an increase now in, in terms of the economic activity where transportation increases. So there, are direct, there could be direct spending effects, for example, if the government gets involved. So for example, the government would have to spend on capital investments such as vehicles, equipment, facilities, they would have to hire drivers and so on. Yeah. So all that is good for the economy and the drivers and so on will continue to be paid monthly, weekly, whatever going forward. So that's good for the economy. Even with greater supply from the private ent- from private bus suppliers, then people moving around and spending more money on a nightly basis and, and so on, going to a bar, going to a restaurant and so that only bodes well for the economy because people are spending money, uh, government can, can collect um, sales tax for example companies are more profitable so the government stands a chance to collect more tax revenue and so on so there are a lot of things that can kind of be spurned from people being able to move around and spend their money because when you look at St. Vincent I have this, and I keep saying this when you look at our countries the majority of the economic activity happens between a certain time right and when you look at countries like Barbados for example a lot of companies a lot of businesses have people that come in from uh, morning to afternoon and then people come in from from afternoon to night and then somebody has come in from like midnight 11 till the morning so right. we have a lot of places where you know there's shift system right. you know places are open for longer periods of time and that's because people get to move around and so on so that's something that we want to see more of in these smaller islands yeah. But with that, let me let me ask you, you think that they would have to expand the current routes that exist? Because the private operators, obviously, they, they tend to stick to the main roads. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at some instances, some instances, hilly and so forth. Do you think that the public transportation system might have to include roads that kind of, you know, go up all these um, untraditional roads, not the main roads, these off roads and mm, so forth, well, and probably go more into these communities that are further inland and so forth. Well, in response to that, Derek, what I'll say is in St. Vincent, since I've been a boy catching van to go shops or a large village, mm. the, the, bus is, the bus route has been the same. Mm-hmm. When you look at the development of our country in terms of areas that never used to be um, heavily residential or heavily populated. We can think about Greenhill, for example, where they've, they, they, the host of low-income homes and so on. We can think about other places in the country where communities didn't previously exist. Right. They do now. Mm-hmm. Right? So the land use has changed and, and has developed. The population has changed in terms of where they live, how we commute and so on. But the bus routes have essentially remained the same. Right. Right? So when you look at other countries that habitually revise their bus routes, by the way, we're talking about bus routes like we actually have bus routes. <laughs> Do we actually have bus routes? Because when I come home, regular me catch the wrong bus, no? Because when you come home and you look at the van, the vans in them are all different color. Oh. They don't have no name on them. They don't yeah. make names. So if you... They, they're still labeled like the destination? Not even. <laughs> not even. So when you think about a tourist, it's a horror experience that the other day I catch a van going shops with a, with, with, with a, with a, um, a foreign couple in the yeah. van. Mm-hmm. So I, in my mind, I'm wondering what tourist attraction is there in, in shops. 
You understand? Only to find out the people them trying to reach botanic gardens. But they end up in the wrong van because the van's not labeled. There are no routes. You know, in Barbados, for example, you never catch a route trees that are going Newy, are going Cave, are going One Step, Black Rock. You understand? But we don't have anything here. It has, it's a, you, you know, you can't go online, you can't check anything like that. So it's, it's a nightmare. Yeah. It's, like, but, it's a guessing game. And but, for these stories as well, I could imagine. Boy, they probably, I tell you, the one I tell you, I mentioned the wrong boss, the one who can't cry. I think they could have probably like, <laughs> shout out to the conductor and say, hey, you're trying to go. And the conductor say, come, come, because they want the money. Yeah. They, want the, they want 50 or $2 or whatever. And they, they don't really care that the person trying to get to botanical gardens. It ain't no sweet, Bren. Yeah. So it affects our tourism as well. And I say it because I'm an advocate for some uniformity mm-hmm. in the bus system, right? And I believe strongly that we can do much better. I remember, um, for example, I had questioned our prime minister. He was at a function at UWIKville, I think, last year or so. And I had asked him at a forum there, what is his take on public transportation? And his response was, um, essentially, it's not something that his government would be... Um, investing money in currently it's 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 sufficiently supplied by the private sector and so on so then my response to that would be it's applied but the government to the state the state i mean don't say government because they might say it's because it it's been happening even before this current government right, right. The, the bus system is not properly regulated point blank it is not properly regulated if you look at somewhere like antigua for example where they've created a transport board authority mm-hmm. that regulates that issues permits that sets up the bus routes that says okay you can run on this route you have oh, to yeah, think sure, this yeah. thing they can tell you how many buses are on each route yeah, excuse me yeah. that are registered for each route and so on yeah yeah but nothing ain't happening like that here we kind of have what we, we, we the ministry of transport and works and you're not quite sure where the regulatory arm is within oh, the yeah. ministry no yeah in trinidad and so on the the maxi taxi act and the road traffic act in barbados i mean it's quite specific in terms of the regulator who the regulators are mm-hmm. in trinidad they list the number of authorities and they list what the licenses entail where you have to get them when you have to renew them and so forth and they list the offenses of not having a license and not operating on your road in barbados like, and then yeah, catch you off your exactly. road couple smoke your pipe yeah so you know there are these things that are regulated so i think that's something that we would need to implement because currently we our regulations just are a bit more broad based in terms of the specifications for the bus the seating arrangements and that kind of thing but obviously if you're trying to go to a public transport system you know as we mentioned earlier there would be some need for uniformity and in the acts for like the Trinidad and Barbados they actually regulate the paint color of the buses mm, exactly and, you know, in Trinidad you know there's the red band red, red band for different band and whatever yeah. yeah so they, we need that yeah that's what I'm saying we need that, and this might be our unpopular opinion in St. Vincent, y'all can, y'all can fight me down for it, but we need that. You understand? What we have is, is, is a joke. Yeah. No, I mean, I definitely appreciated and benefited from it greatly when I was studying abroad. Just the fact that I could, well, I mean, I was, in, I was studying the cold. So, I mean, the fact that I could step outside within two minutes of knowing when a bus is going to arrive mm. and be able to get to my destination, get to class and so forth. I mean, that was, that was, that was tremendous in terms of just being able to move around and it's something that we need in these parts and i bet and i bet generic going to the next point because you knew when the bus was coming and it was cheap you never even think about boarding me back car not even a bicycle not even a bicycle because i know the bus coming i know i know i would get there i know i would get back home at any time and that speaks to the next point which is we can kind of decelerate 
the rate of our congestion, mm-hmm. right, in terms of our road congestion. We look at it now in coming town, and I can speak about St. Vincent, oh, and, that, that's and St. Lucia, really, and so yeah. on. Because we, everybody trying to catch, everybody using the public transport, they are private transportation. Yeah, yeah. If we had a system where, boy, I tell myself I can go there and catch a bus X, Y, the bus comfortable, the bus thing girl is boom, boom in my air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's spacious. Yeah. I, I ain't saying up on my cousin yeah. to get a seat, a, a stranger yeah. up and then, you know, then I might consider catching the bus yeah. more regularly. I might even study to buy yeah. a car. Because that's, 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 that's one of the reasons why I asked you what you thought about the route expansion. Because I was thinking, boy, if it was actually efficient and running properly, then I myself, even though I live off the main road and up a hill and very far off main road, I myself would say, boy, let me just catch a bus today because I know it coming at mm-hmm. 7.30 or whatever. Comfortable, you could yeah. keep on your shirt and tie and you ain't get too sweaty in, exactly. the, in the thing. And so, and then there are a lot of studies that kind of show as well, Jared, that traffic congestion has the potential to reduce and affect your GDP. Mm-hmm. So if you have high rate, you, lo- you lose a lot of your productivity. People reach and work late, this, this, oh, that. Right. People reach yeah. work, they're done frustrated from the day. That's so true, they ain't yeah. in any mindset to start the work because they just were cooler from this traffic that they've been in for yeah. half an hour and so on. Yeah. So it has implications, real life implications for our economy. Yeah, God forbid you live beyond wrong the boat and um, on the windward side every morning, boy. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, the house lived in Kingston. I mean, if, yeah. if you don't get to that roundabout before 7 a.m., I mean, crap, we'll smoke your pipe. That's music. Yeah, man, it's, it's one of these things in these small nations. Everybody has a car. There's so many cars on the road. The congestion is real. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's real. And it's, be- and it's getting worse. Yeah. It's getting worse. Because the roads and the, the routes aren't increasing. The roads aren't increasing. It's the same roads that we have, we have been traveling for decades and decades. And that's important there eh? because um, a study, another, you know, you know, I always do my like, research because we know we're chatting about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, a study by Sharma and Subramanian. Mm-hmm. In 2012, they kind of spoke to the fact that um, a lot of the countries that have problems with congestion, they have what we call the risk factors for congestion. And interestingly, if not everything, most of the OECS countries have these risk factors uh-huh. in the sense that they're, and these are, they have a historical lack of physical planning. Right, we, right. right now, I ain't even sure. I'm close to that. <laughs> but we have a historical lack of physical planning in the sense that we haven't been planning our tongue and country. You know, we haven't been planning. There's, there's no use. It's just kind of been growing and places have been springing up and buildings have been springing up haphazardly and, right. until recently. Right, yeah. So we have that historical lack of physical planning. There's limited alternative traffic means such as a mass transit, a mass um, public transportation system. There's archaic management of traffic flow. And I'm going to leave that day. <laughs> I'm going to leave that day because I know people can fight me down. Yeah, yeah. There's archaic old school. Old We're not school. with the times. Yeah. Yeah. You understand management of the traffic flow. We, it's, in there are places where traffic flow is dumped to a science, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you understand people are doing people running um equations and so on. Yeah. That's uh, the kind of thing the traffic. But yes, yeah, so we still have my American calling. Come, is, are we the only country in the region? <laughs> no, we're there? not. Okay, we're not. <laughs> I'm fighting it. No, no, no. Okay, I'm, okay. I'm not speaking. Okay. I'm Vincent, eh? Let me be clear. I love my country. I'm speaking uh, from a small island perspective. Yeah, that sometimes yeah. we 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 haven't been keeping up with the times as much as we should. As we should. Yeah. You understand? And there are also limited budgets to undertake infrastructural upgrades to the road networks and so on. So those are the historical yeah. risk factors for traffic congestions, and we are mm-hmm. we are characteristic of them. Yeah, that's the thing that we see that that road network. You understand? Ooh. So it's going to get worse. Yeah. Even if we wanted to expand our roads, we can't because there are houses on either side of the road. Yeah, side, yeah. You literally have to go out in the sea and come around or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and unless the government prepared to 
to use eminent domain or whatever and, and acquire people property, you know, yeah, that, yeah. which comes at a cost. Which comes so, cost, yeah. you know, so there, there are these issues, right? So then we, we kind of are touching on different things, but the one of the main options available to the government. So they need to improve the regulation. We mentioned this before, so we can go through it too much. But like, you know, I'm passionate about them something. We need to regulate the bus system. We need to do some route planning. Right. You know, and for example, it might be more efficient for a, a Sharps van to go over Green Hill and come back wrong, just using a localized example, mm-hmm. as opposed to just going Sharps alone and coming wrong. You know, we could reroute the bus system that it kind of covers more people. Right. It allows, it allows the bus drivers to possibly make more money. Mm-hmm. It allows different things like that. We could even, you know, there are different things that can be done in terms of the route. We've essentially been using the same route in so many of these small islands since we small. Oh, yeah. Since we small, we catching a Calaca van for go X Y. Yeah. Since we cut small, we catching a Grizzly van for go X Y. Yeah. That's what we've been doing. We haven't been upgrading ourselves in terms of the road. We kind of just oh, that's how it is. Yeah. You understand? We've been leaving it up to the bus man and them, yeah. to the bus suppliers to change the routes or to decide if they're going up X Y hill or coming down, or if they can go up and road, and if they don't feel like today they're not going. And, and they think they love their independence too because some of them these the word um well. They would stop halfway through the yeah. route and then turn back because they fall or whatever because they think yeah. they could get more people at this peak time or whatever. Exactly. And they would not go the full road. And some people are left inconvenienced because of that, but that wouldn't yeah. happen if we had a public transportation system yeah. or more regulation, for example. So we need to do more than just control the fares. Oh, taking shortcuts as well. Yeah, understand. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do more than just that. Yeah. We need to even include the, the safety of the buses and so the speed. We need to regulate the bus. Because what we do now is not regulation. You know, we said fair, sorry, that's what we do. See, a lot of, a lot of things are regulated, you know, but they just not, not enforced. enforced. Yeah. But boom, that's yes. what I mean. When I say we don't yeah. regulate, they mean anything. We don't enforce and we, we need enforce, to enforce. Yeah. And the problem with that in our small islands, and I applaud Antigua for setting up the, the Antigua Transport Board that regulates and that issues licenses and so is that you can pinpoint in Antigua mm. who, reg- who does the regulation. In St. Vincent's kind of between, um, you know, you have to go inland revenue to register the bus, right. you have to go, you know, have an income tax, then you have to go, I don't know if you think that somebody assigns you to a route, you can just say what you are on, so you can change if you want, and all these things. So we need a centralized uh, focal point within the Ministry of Transport that's actually going to take up the amount of regulating mm-hmm. public transportation system, public transportation, not just the buses, because I think in Antigua they regulate the taxis as well. So th- there is room for that and there is need for that. I would welcome it in terms of our own economic growth and development because it has it, it has transformational power in my opinion and i think the government has the opportunity to use some of the things that we already use as well we need to use the incentives and the subsidies in a more targeted manner so we know for example we, if you're giving an import duty for, for 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 buses and so on you need to make sure a few subsidies or whatever you need to make sure that this the, the buses are doing what they're supposed to be doing if you gain a busman thing to say he can carry tourists you know then he ha- you have to make sure yeah. he can be using the buses for other purposes and so on if you if you assign in for example i know some countries mandate that the bus fares for further distances more rural parts mm-hmm. are, are subsidized by the government to ensure that persons um who, who live a further distance from the city, for example, are able to freely commute and move between the right, country. Yeah. We have great potential for that. It ain't easy to pay five and ten dollars to charge long enough. No, yeah, I mean, you understand? If you say five dollars, I mean, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It ain't easy. Per week, so, so if you're using, for example, you could target the subsidies to say if you're running Georgetown, mm-hmm. we can give you 
you know, if you're running for one of these five, this, mm. these five places, we're gonna give you, we're gonna give you subsidies mm. that allow you yeah. to offer a cheaper ride, mm. a cheaper fare, sorry, to the persons in those communities. Because no, we know, and that's not, let's be honest with ourselves, His, there's been a historical, some, an occurrence basically where a lot of those persons in these, in these rural communities are not as economically well off as those, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in the more urban districts. And so it's important for them to still be able to, to, to use the services and, and to spend money within the economy. Yeah. Right? And so there's an argument for that. So we need to look at things like these in terms of the targeted incentive and subsidies. Yeah, I agree. Because, I mean, there's a reason as well that a lot of persons, a lot of these private operators, they want only to do these short distances. Yeah. They just want to go into Minsk. They just want to go Villa, Calico, come, come back, back, and that's it. Because there's no incentive for them to go further. There's yeah, no, you know, yeah, yeah. they don't want to put their bus down the roads and know that okay if I go to Georgetown then there's a greater risk of my you know uh, my shocks um mm. thinking out or whatever. Wear and tear the buses because of the right. distance and all these mm. things. And so mm. we need to also consider public private partnerships as well. So where the government doesn't necessarily have to get fully involved. They can offer contracts for example to offer to the private to private individuals to run their buses longer or to start mm. running the bus longer. So you give a contract to persons to leave Kingston at 9 p.m., 9.30 p.m. and so on. So you have different buses that come at different times and extend. So you can go all the way up to 10, 11 and the government would pay for that. And then the people would pay fares or whatever. You know, that, the details can be worked out. Yeah, but yeah. but these, there are ways that we can increase our bus supply. Yeah. I, think that, that I, think, we, I think a lot of private operators are like that as well, just because they might, you know, they would retain some of their autonomy and some of their independence. Mm. As opposed to the government fully getting yeah, exactly, involved, yeah. right? I think as well, some of them like, no, I mean, obviously they're their own entrepreneur and they can do what they want. Yeah. You know? And I think, for example, in Antigua, the government actually allows um, private buses to charge a higher fares at off-peak time. So I think if the fares like $2, if it's beyond a certain time, then you can charge $2.50 right, or $3. Right. So it incentivizes the bus man on them now to stay on the road a longer because you know if you catch a man, if you get a full trip, 9 o'clock, yeah, yeah, Basically, yeah. you make two yeah. times what you would make in the day. Yeah. And the people know, I know that I can get the bus at nine. Even if I pay a little bit more for it, I still know that I can move around and do what I want to do. So I can still go out, I can still, you know, you know, go yeah. to town and That's do whatever right. I need to yeah. do. Or go to, a, you know, get, go get some dinner or whatever, you know. So there are things that other countries are doing. And I and I use that Antigua as an example because I always look for best practices and kind of see. Because we really need to be learning from each other in the region, right? Yeah. When we're so small, you think that it would it would work in terms of you know you know the boss man like you see the boss man he living probably next to you as your neighbor and you say boy it's nine o'clock you really gonna charge me extra two dollars like you can't give me for the same rate <laughs> like I mean are there these practical considerations really like I don't know I'm just it just came to me boy. Well, if if you decide that you want to one man the, the cheaper price, I guarantee he can get all. So at the end of the day, he still had the incentive to come out and make a little, yeah. bit, a little bit more extra money. And then obviously the final, the final um, option to the to the government is to enter the market. They can do that, do sort of supplemental basis on a full time basis. Supplemental, obviously, that they they start operating the government buses at times where traditional supply of buses are low. So, for example, if you see eight o'clock in a certain area of the country private in, uh, individuals pull the bus off the road, ah, right. you okay, can okay. then start to supplement so that. you coming at that time. Yes, you're only coming at that time. Yes, Obviously, that has implications. You, know, you reduce your cost, you keep costs, you keep things right. manageable, mm-hmm. and so on. And then, 
as opposed to the full full blown system where you kind of just jump all in like a barbie that's transfer yeah, that would be good you, for them to get and you give them full yeah. full competition with the private sector so that the supplemental might be something thing yeah. you know start off with that and, then. and if you see exactly. that the demand is there and yeah. and people start reacting mm-hmm. or responding to the increased supply then mm-hmm. you can say boy maybe no, and even so, even with that, to the private bus suppliers might say, boy, since the government buses start to run at this XY time or later, later, people actually coming out and you know, so again mm. start to run too. True, true, true. And then everybody benefits, yeah. benefits, especially the public who want to move yeah. around. And yeah, probably increase the efficiency as well. They say, well, if the bus, if the public bus system mm. moving in such a way, then you know, maybe I mean, we exactly need to step if, up our game. If if the, if the public transportation system leaving at nine o'clock, mm. well, I need to be there at nine o'clock too because if I reach at nine ten, yeah, the you crowd take, taking those people. Yeah, you understand. Yeah. So these are things that we need to consider and of course, you know we're just discussing so we kind of wanted to get our feet wet with something having missed last week and you know we're going to do the usual Jared just to wrap up this episode we're going into now, let me drink to that Let me drink to that What are you drinking to this week? Boy, I would say I drink into St. Vincent and the Grenadines passing the medical marijuana You drink into that? I didn't think that you I'm joking <laughs> <laughs> I drink into it We discussed it on episode 3 uh-huh. We discussed it on episode 3 And you know, it came to fruition They, they passed the bill Something we anticipate obviously Something that's good for the region mm. Something that a lot of these territories are doing now So the fact that we did it I think we did it last week I think it was the 10th or so mm. Or the 11th And um, I would drink to that I could drink to that And for me this week I want to drink to the Auditor General in Jamaica. I don't know if you've been following the, the Petrojam scandal uh, in Jamaica where the, the reporters essentially come out where there's been so much problems with malfeasance and so on mm-hmm. and corruption and nepotism and so on and you know money billions, Jamaican billions being spent on oil but not actually being uh, received and so on and it kind of made me wonder and then obviously they had hearings into it where these uh, these, these officials of, the, of this um, statutory corporation were brought before uh, you know a parliamentary committee etc and questioned about their operations and it kind of made me wonder right, when yeah. are we going to see that sort of accountability in our small <laughs> islands when we can pull you know the manager uh, of of I don't know what kind of statutory corporation because <laughs> we think are targeting people you understand when we can see our Statutory body, the people who are running our statutory bodies being held accountable publicly for how they're running right, and using right. government resources. Yeah. And so it was really refreshing to me. And I know the Prime Minister of Jamaica now is now, uh, you know, looking at the ways. And I think that he's ordered a forensic audit of, of it to kind of get deeper into the thing, yeah. right? But I really wanted to take a toast to accountability, the report that was released. And it's a good step in terms of accountability in the region. I want to endorse it and yeah, hope that uh, our smaller yeah. islands yeah, kind of right, take up the mantle and, yeah. and start to do these type of things and, and hold our people accountable in these statutory corporations. Because really, we're wasting a lot of things, you know? Mm-hmm. We're wasting a lot of resources, we're wasting a lot of money that can be used to develop these small islands. And I want to drink to that, Jerry. Yeah, man. Yeah, so, you know, again, we're sorry about last week, but we're going to try to stick to regular programming. We're gonna see you again next week, and um, well, you, you get a long one this week. We sit down and we chat, so we Actually, made up. This one is long, yeah. So we, we made up for it, and yeah. you know, we basically put these two episodes in one for you this <laughs> week. And we hope you listen, and we look forward to hearing you next week. I am the law, a lie. I'm the lawyer, <laughs> and Sorry. I'm the policy analyst. See you next week. <laughs> see you next week. 